1: Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch.
0: $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: A word of warning. This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Hi fam. I'm just coming in at the top of the episode to talk to you a little bit about a type of therapy that we discussed during this episode. Now it's called EMDR or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. It is a psychotherapy that is becoming more and more common in its use for the treatment of PTSD and trauma. And as we go into this episode, we do go into it a little bit in detail, but it dawned on me that some of you may not know what that means. So if you're not familiar with EMDR, I'd recommend giving it a Google, even watching a video on it so that you can get a little bit of an idea of what it might mean. It might give you a little bit more context for the episode. In addition to that, I do have an incredible guest coming on today. Her name is Tara Newell and she is an incredible survivor and advocate. And I think she's just one of the most wonderfully caring human beings I think I've ever spoken to in my life. But what I will say is that this platform for me, it is so important that we give victim survivors their voice. I really want to make sure that people are given the time to tell their story in their own way. Tara's story has been told in a lot of different platforms and in a lot of different ways. Something that we do discuss in this episode as well around ethical crime is other people's perceptions and producers getting in the way and trying to, I guess, make a story more dramatic maybe. So what I recommend even before going in and listening to this story, Tara and I do discuss a little bit about what she survived, but a lot of what we talk about is her life after and reclaiming her own self and healing. So please go and listen to Tara's TikToks. She has gone into a lot of detail on TikTok about telling her story and you can listen to it by her in her own words unfiltered. So please go have a listen to that before you listen to this episode as it might give you some additional context. Other than that, let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I am joined by Tara Newell. You'll know Tara because she is a survivor advocate, badass zombie slayer, dog mom, activist and everything in between. So thank you so much for joining me, Tara.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on today.
2: I'm so happy to have you here. Now, you are an activist that I've known for a while because of the story that I think a lot of people know about you. But other than that, you're so many things. Um, So before I guess we get into your story, do you mind telling the listeners just a little bit about you and about yourself?
3: Yeah. So I am, well, I'm now 31 this Sunday (laughs) and I just, I love animals. I love dogs. I've worked with dogs. Um, now not currently working with dogs, although I do watch some dogs on the side here and there. Um, because you know, a survivor's got to get cash and do these jobs wherever she can. Cause (laughs) I feel like, well, for me, it's hard to work a nine to five, especially since everything that I've been through. And, um, so I am, you know, a creative person. I love yoga. I am love nature and I do like to go out to dinner and, you know, have meals and really am a foodie and, but low key.
2: And I did say in the beginning about zombies, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your zombie obsession? (laughs)
3: Oh yeah. So, (laughs) so I killed, I don't know why I'm laughing about this, but you know, uh, humor is a trauma response too. And I killed my stepdad um, as if he were a zombie, but like my stepdad came after me and tried to kill me. And I watch a lot of walking dead. I, well, I have a great collection of zombie DVDs too. Um, but I really like watched The Walking Dead and when it came out, I would watch it when it first came out, then I would watch the episode afterwards, and then I would watch The Talking Dead, and then I would watch The Walking Dead again. Like when the show would premiere and stuff every Sunday. So I really did have a zombie obsession. (laughs) Well and then I have a survival kit too that I made like for a zombie apocalypse.
2: <laughs> I love that so much though, for your like own interests, you know what I mean? But at the same time, I guess it is horrible that you've had to use those skill sets in any circumstance anyway. But you did, I guess, mention what you've gone through. Do you mind telling the listeners a little bit about what your story is?
3: Yeah. So my mom ended up meeting this psychopath and ended up falling in love with him. Moved in together around two months Um, Around like two and a half months, they got married, and it was really a quick moving relationship. But he really kind of made her feel so special, feel so loved. And then he started to isolate her and have issues with my sister and I, and the rest of my family. And so she ended up, well, my family ended up hiring a private investigator, and we looked into him. And then she ended up leaving him once and then he was able to convince her that all these other John Meehans that the private investigator uh, found out like that he was um, arrested for selling drugs at a hospital and that he went to jail and like just finding out all these bad things that he had restraining orders on him and whatnot. And so he was able to convince her that all of those things were false. And he even took her to a lawyer. And then my mom left him again because things ended up, she ended up finding out that those things were really true and that, you know, the lawyer was, you know, false with that stuff. And then, and who knows if like he had this lawyer under his control or just like he always threatened to disbar lawyers and stuff. And so maybe that was what happening. but that lawyer told her that this stuff was true. Yeah. So it's like hard to believe that, you know, this man is a bad person when we're saying this. Um, and then a the lawyer who is like someone on the law is telling her opposite. So she ended up leaving him a second time, probably around a year later. And then he ended up coming after me and then um, attacking me in a parking lot. He ended up stabbing me, and I was able to somehow get the knife from him. My dog was also with me in my attack. And then I was able to defend myself, and I actually killed him in self defense.
2: Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, it's so difficult, I guess, as well, because what your mum went through, the coercive control, the, you know, emotional abuse, all of those things. And, you know, if people want to learn more about the details of the story, then they can go to the the Dirty John podcast and, and listen to it in detail. But I guess for you in your own right, this is a separation as well, because you've been physically attacked and a part of, I guess, what you're your mum went through and your family went through as one thing, but you've also got your own right in your own survivor story from having that attack happen. What's it like for you now talking about it and being an activist and active advocate in this space and recounting, I guess, what you've had to go through in that circumstance?
3: So I want to like talk about how it was kind of a process to talk about it because, you know, when this huge trauma happens and I know you're a survivor yourself of you know stuff I will just say stuff <laughs> um, and you know you really have to go through the motions before you're able to like really talk about it and be an advocate for it so really I had to get to a good place in my healing um I had to deal with a lot of my triggers at first and deal with being hypervigilant. Um, because like the amygdala is highly activated after you go through trauma. And then, so everything's just like a threat to you because your body is on this mode. Like I need to be on guard right now because you just went through this trauma and it was crazy trauma. So you need a process and you need to go through the motions. And I had to work on my triggers. I had to get to a good place with therapy (laughs) and I did EMDR uh, therapy and I also, I honestly didn't work during that time of healing and um, did a lot of nature and physical activity and just really got to a good place where I was able to manage and actually talk about my trauma because When this happened, I would tell people what happened, but I was so in shock that it was like, oh, wow. Like what happened to this girl? Like, I don't, I don't, and a lot of people didn't believe me to be honest Yeah. and it sucked because I was like, wow, this is a lot. And it really sucks to hear people didn't believe me because like I went through something so traumatic and. You know, no one asked for these situations and no one asked to be put into these situations where they have to fight for their lives. And so I was able to get to a good place. I talked to the LA Times because they ended up approaching my mom and I took some time to think about this. So that podcast really gave us a platform. Um, but you know, no one's prepared for the media attention and everything and all these, you know, and they're making money off of this while you're just sharing your story. Like, and then it blows up. Um, my mom actually lost a lot of money in her company because when the story came out, um, her clients didn't want to do business with her because they didn't want to be associated with um, someone that was so stupid, quote unquote, Whoa. to get into this type of situation. And so, you know, it really put my family through a lot. And then we had to process that. And then we felt like having a voice and talking was like helpful and, um, so therapeutic, but also in the sense that it helps other women, because when you share your story, you share that it's not so scary to come out and say it. And that person you know, that person might be scared to share their story. So it helps other people come out and share that what happened to them, they shouldn't be shamed about it and that she, they should come out and just have pride about it. And then, you know, we also wanted to raise awareness for the red flag. So this really gave us that opportunity and there was a lot of victim blaming. So we really had to educate ourselves even more and then continue down that edge education of talking about coercive control and that led us to Laura Richards and going from there and really educating ourselves the more and more because it's like you can be a different advocate in different ways you know it starts off like you share your story because you know you want to help other women and then it goes further in that because you have to educate yourself and give more tips and you know learn why you were in it also.
2: That's how I'm an advocate. <laughs> I love that though. And I think it, you've explained it so well that, you know, it is a journey and you can, can, you can adjust and test different things as you go. So, you know, I'm exactly the same. I started sharing my story on Instagram during me too. And then it evolved into a situation where so many people were contacting me and going, Oh, I have this story. I have that story. It just screamed out to me that I wanted to create a platform where people can talk and listen. And it's evolved now into a resource that's at universities for like domestic abuse survivors who are listening to this for, for validation of their own experiences. And I was like, this is not even close to what you think you're going to set it up for. You know, you just go step by step. But as you go, you test and adjust and evolve with what you're doing, you know. And I think it's incredibly amazing that you're using something so horrible that happened to you and your experiences with victim blaming and your experiences with therapy to educate the wider public on red flags. And I think as well to explain to people that your mum isn't stupid. You're not stupid. Nobody's stupid. You know what I mean? That anybody, you know, your mum being so intelligent and successful as well. It's not this demographic that people think that intelligent women can't have these things happen to them. And it's just so... I think wonderful in many ways that we've created this environment around us following me too, that survivors are speaking their authentic true selves because this is the way that we're going to facilitate change. The thing I always think about as well is that, you know, and especially in the case of the perpetrator, um, John Meehan, if you're talking about these, these men have multiple victims. So inherently, the victims outnumber the perpetrators. And because of that, we can make a lot more noise and facilitate a lot more change than they can. So I feel like lately, sadly, Roe v. Wade being overturned is like pushing us in the other direction. But I feel for the most part, like, like a tide is changing and that we're, we're starting to get our voices louder than the perpetrators or the oppressors now.
3: Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, using our voice will get us that place because Now we're going to, you know, now the men are going to be angry because now we're going to be like, well, no more service here, guys.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Like some of these guys that have benefited from these abortions as well.
3: just Right. And it's like politicians, so many people. And then it's like crazy because you're going to think about, like the religions and stuff and the people that get pregnant and they've gotten um, abortion silently and stuff. And then now they might have their lives more endangered to be honest, because a lot of pregnant women are killed because they don't want that woman to have that baby.
2: And, you know, um, one of the risk factors for domestic abuse increasing or starting for the first time is pregnancy. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, if, if somebody cannot get that in an abusive relationship, all we're going to see is an increase in domestic violence, homicides, I think. Yeah. I just hate the idea that women are so often put into this position where they're the problem. So, yeah.
1: you,
2: you know, women are so stupid. We're so dumb. We're so weak and um, can't comprehend anything. We're too emotional. We can't make choices about our own bodies. You know what I mean? Or we're so dumb, you know, like you just said about your mum, People thought, how could somebody be so stupid, victim-blaming, as if any of you deserve what happened? And especially you as somebody that wasn't in that intimate partner relationship. It's so crazy to me. Like, it's always the women that are the idiots and stupid and weak. And I'm saying that sarcastically, obviously we're not. But in the media, that's how it's portrayed. And it's so crazy being an Australian and seeing the democracy of America working and seeing Supreme court justices that are not elected officials acting to create such different laws that threaten democracy. So
3: it's just crazy. Yeah. Well, it's also just, there's a lot of different views here and there are a lot of women that are also think thinking, um, pro-life and stuff, but it's like, quote unquote, pro-life. That's what I want to say, you know? But if you're really thinking about it, like these kids that are going to be put into like the most miserable house is because these people are forced to have kids. These women are going to get killed. Uh, Yeah. And it's like, why should people have to have control over other people? That's like, That's coercion, guys. That's like narcissists, like controlling other people. Like, come on, why should we have to control anyone?
2: Absolutely. And I guess like going back to like this physical body discussion as well, because it's choices over our body, I guess, what was it like? Because we talked a little bit about just before about your psychological healing, following your attack and everything that you had to endure and go through. What was it like physically for you to have to also recover from that? Because I'd assume as well, you've got like literal physical scars that you have to deal with and that must add so much more pain and triggers on top of what you've got to go through already.
3: Yeah. So I, well, when I got out of the hospital and I'm so fortunate to have as many stabs as they have. and um, that kind of sounds weird, but like none of mine were fatal. And so, but they had to check them out and make sure they weren't fatal. Um, so I have one in the forearm and that was like an inch deep. Um, and it was a lot to honestly regain that strength back because that hit like tendons and stuff. And, it just like, honestly, still feels like not a hundred percent because, yeah. and it's been like almost six years now. And because it's like your whole body has to rebuild from that or your whole, you know, your whole arm, not your whole body. But yeah. well, honestly, your whole body, because your trauma like lives fully and deep within all your body. Um, and so you know, you have to recover, but I had to do like even scar work and like sit with it and move the scar. And then when you sit with the scar, honestly, and you do the scar work, even emotions come up and you, um, like me just doing it now, like it kind of brings up a lot and you have to kind of sit with those emotions, process it because, there'll be some days where I do stuff with my arm and I want to like, just hit my arm because you know, the traumas in it. And so I just have to sit with it and be with it and get through it that way. And then right after I got stabbed and I was in the hospital, I got exploratory surgery to make sure I wasn't bleeding out and they had to go, up in my belly button. So I had basically abdominal surgery and I had to recover from that. And that took like probably a couple weeks. Um, I was just like sore, couldn't like get up and didn't have that abdominal strength. Um, and then I just had like one stab wound underneath my left breast and, that one, they just did stitches on. And then I honestly, I couldn't go back to the doctors because I just, it was too much trauma. And when I was in the ICU, I was literally screaming and looking at my mom and all these people are touching me and violating me after I experienced some guy trying to kill me. Um, so it was very traumatizing and So I ended up like taking out my stitches myself even. Yeah. Don't do that.
2: (laughs) No, no, it's not advisable. Thank you for sharing that because like you can tell even when you're sharing it, how difficult it is to talk about some of these things. And thank you. You're showing so much strength to so many of us that still are so traumatized by what we've been through, but choose to talk about it. Um, Yeah. But I think with the scar work as well, I think I just think about that because you know, there are the things that are my triggers that I deal with, like songs or certain words or something, and I can, they're not as tangible in a way. So before I came on to talk to you, I was thinking about this, about how hard your healing would have been after, because there are these things that you've got to deal with. Like you're talking about scar work and having to deal with the ongoing effects. It's just like, it's so difficult on top of the ongoing psychological effects that you've had to oh, to heal and deal with like you've got two things co-occurring you're frustrated because your arm's not working properly you've got to go to the bloody doctor like it's too much and how many times I guess as well are women's bodies violated even in a medical setting and it might not be you know unconsensually violated but it is we've we've had to grow up our entire lives pretty much getting pap smears and getting breast exams and getting people touching us and looking at us it's it's so difficult to go through that without trauma and yeah. then add on what you've gone through. It only makes sense how difficult that was for you. I'm so sorry yeah. that you had to enjoy that. I'm
3: like, no, that. thank you. I'm like, I don't know how you feel about uh, TSA, but I hate when they pat you down. That is like my least favorite thing. What's TSA? Um, so like when you go through airport se- uh, security.
2: Oh, right. Yeah, yeah.
3: And then, like, I went to China and they, like, hit you. I like, to try and
2: check whether you're carrying things on your, or anything.
3: Yeah. But I yeah. Would, like, in China, I was crying because, like, someone just touching you, it's, like, it brings you back.
2: It's such a violation. And I think outside of that, even, I was at a bar the other night and I was just, like, to a girl, I was, like, look, I just don't really like being touched. I'm not, I like my space. You know, we were standing very close, and I just said, "Look, just don't touch my face." Then, because she wouldn't kind of get off me, and then she proceeded to lick my face. And honestly, I actually can't believe how many days it took me to actually get over that because I was so violated by that. Do you know what I mean? Just somebody, why did she to lick you? you
3: in your face? I'm sorry
2: look, I don't know, but it just, I think what it is for me was the loss of control because I put boundaries in place. One thing that we didn't have that's traumatized us is control and bodily autonomy and things like that. And then when you put a boundary in place and it's pushed or somebody goes over it, it's just another violation. And it, it just tips you over. I think a little bit more when you're already dealing with so much trauma and so many things and You'd have this as well, being a survivor on social media. So many messages, you know, this never stops. Yeah. And then that happens. You're just like, fuck no, this is not okay. I am furious right now. But yeah, it seems so innocuous to some people. Like, oh, it didn't hurt you. It's like, no, it didn't hurt me, but it violated me.
3: Well, I mean, she touched you and honestly, that would have gave me grounds to punch her in the face. (laughs) (laughs) I wish she were with me. (laughs) I like, if someone would have done that to me, I would have lost it on them. Um, but that's also another reason why I don't go to bars, but like for someone to do that, they need to learn boundaries in personal space. But I, um, and I also don't really drink anymore. Like I'll have, maybe I'll drink at like a country festival, but I really like to be in control now because I've just been in so many situations where there's been lots of drinking involved and then boundaries are just pushed and my boundaries are never respected. And I don't know why, but my drunk brain can't be like, oh, I need to get out of here in this moment and go home because I'm like you know, you kind of struggle with the fact like, oh, I need to get an Uber, that costs money. Like, yeah. and you know, when you're a girl trying to make it on her own, it's like you kind of have to have money to get yourself out of situations sometimes. Or you have to literally leave and then what are you going to do? Walk home and that's a dangerous situation.
2: Getting to that situation, then needing to get an Uber home or something and it's not safe. And again, we've seen this throughout History, and I'm listening to a new audiobook at the moment. It's an Australian book. Um, it's called Fixed It by Jane Gilmore, and oh, it is a wonderful book about the different representations of violence against women or women in general in media. So she started a movement, and I'm sure that you would have seen these um, on Twitter and everything like that, where there's a newspaper article and she literally red pens it. It'll be like, a former football star tragically kills wife or something like it'll be like something ama- amazing about them um pushed to defend I don't know pushed to kill wife or something like that it's so dehumanizing to the victim and so grandiose to this former football star in quotation marks but it's all about that and how we frame victims. And, you know, I always go back to that thought. You're like, yes, okay. If I get an Uber then home by myself and something was to happen to me, then I'd be blamed for it. So if I stay yeah. with people though, that are making me uncomfortable and something happens, then I'd be blamed for it. If I walk home by myself, then how many things in history do we have that say that that's a bad thing, but I'd be blamed for it. So yeah. what are my options? Because there aren't many other.
3: <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and it's like, you know, you want to be this independent woman, but like, you're like, you got to do it all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
3: plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: actually i did want to ask you as well with after you've like been going through your healing journey and it's been like you said six years now and you mentioned before that you went through amdr what was your experience with amdr like how did you how did you feel that it helped or didn't help or what was it like for you
3: So the first time was when I lived in Austin. This was about like, whoa, wait, actually I did it at Kaiser. Just kidding. I did it at Kaiser, but that therapist, uh, this was like a couple months after the traumatic incident too. And that therapist could only get me in like once a month, once every couple weeks and stuff. And then she was like the top therapist at Kaiser. And Literally, it was so hard to get to her. And then when she would get to me, I feel like she wouldn't have the capacity to deal with my trauma. And we started doing EMDR and then she didn't really explain it to me that well either. She just wasn't a great therapist. (laughs) But that was the only option that I had um, because I went to another therapist before her, but that one was like $400 a session. And I was going to that one every week. Um, and it was just a lot of money for my family to deal with. And so I had to go to somewhere that accepted my insurance, which was Kaiser. And then she just, we started doing EMDR. We did it with the buzzers and we also did it with the finger too, I think with her. And, um, we started out doing my trauma about shots and, um, the Do you trauma mean shots was...
2: like drinks
3: or shots? No. no. <laughs> or shots like gunshots? Like shots, like getting shots in your arm as a kid. Oh, like vaccinations. Yes. Like there would be <laughs>
2: sorry, like I just, four. I went to two different places. <laughs> I'm
1: so sorry.
3: That's the
2: Australian oh, and American okay. lingo. <laughs>
3: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I guess like it is called like vaccines and stuff, but like to get a shot in your arm, you know, okay. yep. there would be like five nurses holding me down as a little girl to give me a shot because I wouldn't want it. And they would always like prick my finger. And then so I just had trauma about that. But it was like a less trauma, like, you know, yep. a way less trauma compared to the John stuff. And so that's really where we started to go through that trauma. And I say, like, we did a good amount of work on it. I still don't like shots, but, you know, we did a lot of work. And then it was really hard to see her, but, um, you know what? I actually didn't work through that trauma now that I think about it. She just sucked as a therapist. But we did work... A little bit on it, but not to the point where I got rid of that trigger and whatnot. And I hate to say that she sucks as a therapist, but this is why I say this too. It's because I couldn't get in with her. She didn't feel like, well, I felt like she didn't have the capacity to to deal with my trauma. And then she also told me one day, because it was so hard getting an appointment with her, that sometimes I would forget my appointments. Cause I just had trauma brain. It wasn't, you know, there. And she told me one day that she didn't think that I wanted to get better. Wow. And then in my head, I was kind of like, Oh no, fuck you, bitch. Um, I'll show you. And then I literally never went back to her again. I honestly got worse after that for a bit because I, I did like, I was, drinking a lot during that time, going out to bars and just not dealing with my trauma in the best way and just using unhealthy coping mechanisms. And then one day it got to the point where I was so triggered that me and my sister got into a physical altercation and then the police were called and uh, the police basically told us that we just like need to separate because we went through this terrible trauma And I needed to get help because I went through such a, you know, a a combatic trauma. Yeah. And so I ended up packing up my car, taking my dog, and then driving out to Texas. And I drove out to Texas from California with my mom. And I stayed with my other sister and her family. And my sister got me a therapist right away that did EMDR therapy. We got me in twice a week. I was doing my nature and I was doing rock climbing, working with my fight or flight mode because I'm so scared of heights. So I would like work with that, you know, and I got to a really great place in my healing and EMDR helped me so much with that. And that therapist was amazing. We did the buzzers and the tappers. We created a safe place. We went over some lesser traumas first. Then we dove into um, the big trauma. And I really got to a place where I felt like I was healed. Um, And then something – well, like I ended up moving back to California because I needed to work. There was a lot of pressure for me to work because – I think my parents wanted me to get back to normal as soon as possible. Yeah. However, it was such a heavy trauma that like I had to deal with everything and it takes time sometimes, you know, healing isn't linear. You can't put a time limit on it. It's not the same for everyone. You have to go through it yourself and do you. And, you know, I don't say doing you is doing drinking and drugs and stuff. Those things are not helpful whatsoever. Um, Maybe a little bit of pot or like, you know, a Xanax here and there if you really need it. But like, or if you do daily medication and you're at the point where you need it in your life, you know, I support that fully, but I don't think that going to um, alcohol and like, you know, other drugs and overusing it, there we go, is the right thing to do because it just affects your brain and it affects you more and can make you more hypervigilant, live in the state, make you depressed and just go down this hole. So I got back to California because I got to a good place. Stopped doing all that stuff. And then I started working and then I went to a bar (laughs) And then someone grabs me by the waist to move me over for the pool table and I freak out on them because that's how John grabbed me. Yeah. And so that really threw me in the place where I started having bad dreams. I honestly, like I've had a few bad dreams, but at that point I started having like the worst bad dreams, um, of my attack and everything. And I thought I got past it. And so I had to go back into EMDR to work on that trigger. And that therapist, we used tappers. We did the fingers back and forth. And then we did this other machine where it's like you hold onto it. And then there's a light that goes across. And then you just follow the light back and forth. And then I've also done it on uh, telehealth on the computer too, where there's a ball that goes back and forth and we do it that way too. And, um, worked through a lot of traumas because, um, when I was 29 too, because I dealt with all the John stuff and dealt with a lot of other traumas, my brain was open to seeing other traumas that I have been through. So at that point it was kind of crazy. I had visions of me getting molested as a child and this is been a news to me. And I had to go deeper into those um, memories and then I had memories of my abuser and stuff clearly molesting me as a child and then had to go through those motions and work through that with EMDR also.
2: Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry as well on top of everything that, you know, this is you know, lifted up this for you and to find out or you know, have these memories come to the forefront of child sexual abuse on top of everything else. I mean, it's just horrible. I'm so sorry. How has it been for you navigating space as a survivor in that?
3: Well, it's kind of crazy. And I've talked to so many other survivors about this, but a lot of survivors who have been through like childhood traumas and stuff and just but not, they usually go through a lot of traumas because, you know, their nervous system is around to being around these abusers and stuff. And this is what is normal for us. So like my whole life, and it kind of explains, you know, why my mom, in a sense, was more acceptable to being with John and stuff is that, you know, these abusers have been in my life, my whole life. So when that's all you know, how can you, um, how can you stop the traumas from happening unless, like, you realize it's a trauma? And I didn't realize that I experienced all this trauma until I got to this point, and I allowed my brain to open up to these traumas because, you know, the brain really compartmentalizes the trauma and it can hide these memories from you but maybe you have like a trust men or maybe you hide your body in a certain way, but you don't know why, or maybe you have pelvic pain and you don't know why. Um, you know, I'm not saying that everybody got molested as a child, but um, you know, it's very common to have these hidden memories pop up and be um, multi-trauma kind of. Yeah. You know, it's
2: multi-dimension, multifaceted. faceted yes. now that like you've just explained a few of those things. It sounds like this first therapist to you was a trauma as well, because, you know, therapists are supposed to be the ones providing the support and everything. And for you to feel in that scenario, so I guess pushed away, so invalidated and attacked in another way by her saying that you don't want to get better yourself is an, is a trauma in and of itself.
3: Yeah. Well, thank you. And yeah, no, 100% because she didn't validate me. And then that's a huge trigger is that, you know, I haven't been validated in these traumas my whole life because did they happen? Did they not? Well, it definitely happened. But, you know, there's been so much people kind of um, not wanting to have these traumas come out and talked about because it would bring shame to them.
2: And I think as well, there is something so different about having the child abuse happen. You know, I my abuse happened to me when I was 14, but there are so many other survivors of child sexual abuse from when they were much younger, like pre-pubescent ages. And there is that invalidation that you feel because a lot of the time it's like, did it happen? Did I make it up? Was it a dream? Is it because I watch a lot of true crime or, yeah. you know, you, but you have these full on memories and you know, one of the male survivors that I interviewed, Antares, spoke about the abuse that he had endured at the hands of his father. And he describes it as amnesia, that he didn't have an awareness of it for 20 years of his life. And then he started to go through these mental health problems and addressing it in the same way that you're talking about. And all of these memories and feelings and things that he had just blocked out, you know, that without knowing that you've blocked it out as a defense mechanism so young, realizing yeah. that later on that you've that this has happened because you've always been in this hypervigilant state. Your brain is trying to do things to create boundaries for you because you can't possibly know what to do at that age. So, you know, it's just it's so interesting to hear from so many different people across all the different areas of the globe just in my podcast talk about this experience where they're explaining the exact same thing, you know, in that way where you're going, you know, this is how it happened to me and this is how I felt. Like it's just, it's just horrible that it has to happen at all. But it's so interesting, I guess, to me that this feeling is not one that we only individually share, that we can share it and heal together in many ways.
3: Yeah. Cause like all, even though like we're all over the globe and stuff, it's like, we're having the same issues. (laughs) 100%.
2: Well,
3: maybe not like with, uh like certain poverty's, but like with the men and the women situation, you know, the abuse. Yeah,
2: the patriarchy trying to prevail above all else in many circumstances, 100%. Yes. You have come such a long way and you do coaching and you do public speaking and you seem to have really made this wonderful woman of yourself. Not that you weren't before, but to see you on your own, to see you, you know, I follow you on Instagram watching you go into yoga and you've got like your red face after yoga and you're (laughs) living your life in California. And it seems like you, you're really trying so hard. And I just want to say congratulations to you for everything that you've achieved because of your own personal post-traumatic growth. Like all of the hard work that you put in, you're the one who went to the counseling. You're the one who had to go through the trauma. You're the one that's having to deal with you know, having other traumas come up. um, And I think you're an incredibly strong, intelligent, powerful woman. And what you've been able to do post what you've gone through is nothing short of absolutely inspirational and incredible. So congratulations to you and thank you for inspiring like thousands of young women and other survivors across the world, because that's what you do when you speak you've got this like effervescent personality that people just want to be friends with you, you oh, know? You. <laughs> and it's just, it's so lovely. Cause when you speak about your, your trauma and everything as well, it's so, I don't know how to say this without it sounding creepy. Like it's so like huggish, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just like, you're one of us. And it's so, as a survivor myself, I listen to you speak and I'm just like, fuck yes I like I just want to be a friend
3: <laughs> yes well like I've I think I followed you first didn't I
2: <laughs> no I think I followed you on my um on the podcast page yes, but, um, okay. yeah and then you well, followed I- me and I was like uh oh, just followed me <laughs> well, really crying
3: I, like, who was I talking to i feel like I was talking to other survivors and they were like oh you should follow her you should yeah and I was like okay <laughs> and then I was like I love it and then um I so saw you had a podcast and I was like oh that's amazing I love that you know I love you advocating and I love your dog
2: <laughs> we have like the same dog I can see yours mine just opened the door I was like I'm not gonna get up and close it we're just dealing with the door being open now <laughs> But, I um, that
3: he opened the doors He
2: Yeah, he does. He knows how to do that. But no, I just wanted to highlight, you know, so many survivors go through this and there are so many people that will be listening to this right now that won't be in the best place and it's okay to not be in that place and you don't have to reach a certain point and then you're just better forever. You know, we all through, go through yes. ups and downs, but the work that we consistently put in for ourselves and showing up for ourselves and doing different types of therapy, different types of well-being for ourselves. Like even you're saying just not going to bars anymore and removing a trigger from your life, how yeah. wonderful that's been for you. Where do you feel like you are now on your, I guess, I hate saying healing journey cause it's kind of a bit fluffy. Do you know what I mean? But like in, in terror, like in being yourself and becoming and being the, the wonderful woman you are.
3: Well, definitely like expressing expressing my throat chakra um, and, you know, exerting my sacral chakra because it took me a long time to kind of detach from my ego in a sense because, you know, you kind of do get an ego when you get a lot of attention and then detaching from some stuff that created the ego and then just going through the motions of like, you know, there at one point, I'm not going to lie, I thought, like, I was the only, like, survivor out there that had, like, a true crime story, and then my eyes were open to all these, like, amazing people out there, and then that's when I kind of got hooked on true crime, to be honest, because I'm, like, well, I like to analyze and watch shows and, like, pick point, like, what I would do differently because I'm also working with other survivors to, like, make the save better and, you know, bring our own productions. And I'm even um, working on a few things that I'm sure I'll announce soon. I'm, like, just trying... I'm lurking on, like, a lot of stuff with Call Your Landry. Yes. So I'm... Um, well, I'll tell you soon but what we're working on and whatnot, but he's helped me out a lot with just like, um, get me in with a good manager and stuff. Because like when I was on his podcast, it I really like opened his eyes to like the unethical stuff and true crime.
1: Yes. <laughs>
3: and so, you know, we can't, and he lives um, in LA. So he really like, you know, hooked me up with his manager and like got me going again into this space. And so working on a lot of stuff together and soon we'll tell you about one of our main projects.
2: Yeah. That's so exciting. And that's what, um, Yeah. The ethics of true crime is something I did want to talk to you about as well, because it's what Lenora posted on her Instagram the other day, right? About the importance of putting ethics in there. And this is something that I grapple with because I do the podcast as as it is, which is giving survivors a voice. Um, And I have implemented so many steps to make sure that this is them taking back control. So, you know, you get to choose the time, you get to choose what we do, you get to choose, you know, I will always send, um, if you want, like a copy of the podcast that's edited before it goes live, I want you to have the final say, like all of these steps so that people know that they're in control, they're the ones controlling each step and I have myself then been approached by other people who have said, um, hi, can you just send us a video, tell us your child's sexual abuse story, thanks. I'm like, what, you, what are you going to use it for? Why are you just a <laughs> no like hello, no message, no nothing? I've had different publications as well come to me and tell me what I can and cannot speak about. Um, so I can talk about the sexual abuse um, in only certain terms. I'm not allowed to talk about... Um, the way that the community treated me afterwards i 'm not allowed to talk t- talk about certain things i 'm not allowed to mention that I was under the influence of alcohol at the time and you 're like what are you that 's not my story that 's creating a different story yeah so what you 're doing by telling me what I can and cannot say about my own story is making me feel like i 'm not allowed to have my my story like what are you it's invalidating it 's horrible feeling, and yeah, i 'm such a big like believer in that, that it's giving survivors back their voice in their own words. If that's swearing, that's swearing. I'm an Australian. We swear like, you know, whatever, that's fine. If it's not, that's great. What's your vocabulary? What's, what do you want to speak? You know what I mean? It just, it makes me feel like, I feel like I've got a bit of a red face because I'm so frustrated when people treat survivors like a commodity. I just feel so frustrated. What's your experience been like with that?
3: Well, I get frustrated if people tell me what I can and cannot talk about. You know, they, um, like, and even family members, even not going to lie. Like they tell me like, Oh, don't talk about this. Oh, don't talk about that. And I'm like, um, but if I don't talk about that, then people won't get the whole story. So I'm just going to do what I want. And I want to have respect for you know, their privacy and stuff. So, you know, not including their names and stuff and, you know, respecting their traumas, not talking about their major traumas. To me, this is like my major trauma. And um, so, you know, when people tell you what you can and cannot say, like that's so frustrating. And then even, I don't know if you've had anyone be like, oh, can you just show more emotion right now? I've not and had
2: that, no. Really?
3: Okay. Well, I've had that like a few times because I've told my story so many times. And like, I'm not going to cry every time I tell it, you know? So somebody's
2: like asking you to act and cry on demand for like yes. the drama of their TV production or
3: something. Uh huh. Yeah. And then I feel like. I feel like later too in that episode, well, there was like a couple people that told me this on different productions, but in that one episode that I remember, like they made me look at pictures of John too. Are you kidding me? And they like, they just had me look at pictures. I was like, why on earth would you ever make a survivor look at those pictures? And I think the only reason why I did it and I should have said no, but I actually did argue with them at first about it. I was like, I'm not going to do this. And they were like, well, you know, arguing with me, being producers and stuff. But I think they need to have like survivor based producers. <laughs> I'll be a producer. Yeah. Um,
2: Invite but, me in. I've got some experience. Yeah, and Maddie, we're taking over.
3: <laughs> yes. Lived Come to ex- LA. <laughs> yeah.
2: Let's call it lived experience productions. Okay. Um, <laughs> two blonde badass bitches
3: I love yes. it <laughs> I love it but yeah you know it's like they try to get emotion out of you um and then like other places that are just monetizing off the story it's like the la times has 87 million listens over 87 million listens and I'm like I didn't get a penny of that money for the podcast like I sold my story rights at one point to the bravo because the la times already sold the story to bravo <laughs> so it was like kind of like get on board or don't get on board but we're going to tell your story anyways
1: yeah like you've got however no right we to like
3: it, it. Yeah. yeah so i mean i'm going to sign on and take what i can um or i mean i could have fought it but in this case it's like that's me fighting my own trauma that's me putting me through more trauma it just
2: does scream to me like it's so unethical to ask, to show a survivor something like that. And I actually did speak to another survivor who said they were shown images of the um, physical abuse that they went through. So they had seen, they were shown photos of what they looked like in the hospital. And like, what a thing. I you know this is where I just go, I can't comprehend. Cause in my mind, if I was going to ask you something really, scary, or if I was going to show you something like that, or make you listen to something like a 911 call, for example, I would ask you first, like we're talking about trauma. We're talking about people's lives. This isn't just clickbait. This isn't just money. This is somebody's life that we're talking about. That's gone through something horrific. How, how could you even argue with somebody when they say, I don't feel comfortable about
1: this?
3: Right. Exactly. Like, why would you push anyone to like have more emotions I'm like, I don't want to push people to have emotions. I want them to be okay. (laughs) But also like understand that trauma responses
2: are different. Like when, when sometimes you're going through trauma, you're not going to cry. You're going to like be devoid of any feelings at all. You're going to be blank. Like you might be furious. You might be, you might freeze. Like these are different responses that people have to traumatic situations. Just because you're not crying doesn't mean that it's not impacting you.
3: Yeah, and it was crazy too because I was like also th- like during this show, the one show where I had to look at the pictures, I was like that camera guy is cute. That camera guy is cute. That person's cute. And then when like the show was over, I was like no one's cute.
2: <laughs> I hate you all. Get out of town. I hate
3: you all. <laughs> well, and then it was like I felt like they looked at me different after that. And it was like, okay, I just left and went home and cried more, you know? That's so horrible. Then they did get emotions.
2: It just goes to show like the the ripple effects on the pond, right? Like this one, like what could be seen or perceived by many as one single event in your life has had so many ripple effects into your working life your physical self, your psychological self, like your safety, everything like, and it's something that obviously is continuing today. You are a survivor badass, Tara. So thank you so much for coming on. But before we finish up, um, I did want to talk to you about what if people want to connect with you and some of the other work that you're doing now that people might be able to engage with. How can people help and support you on your advocacy um, an activism journey and all the wonderful stuff you're doing.
3: Yeah, so I mean, um, how to support other survivors? You know, is always giving them kind words, always um, supporting their content and stuff when they post it. Because um, I mean, I don't have a nine to five job. If I, I have. I do my best when I'm doing me, when I'm doing freelance jobs and stuff. Cause if I have to go to a nine to five job and be conformed, I'm going to be very triggered, especially just with what I've gone through and stuff. And I'm um, not going to lie. I can only like, I have to ease myself to be around meal sometimes and work on that. So, you know, just showing support and love is always so thankful. Um, I am planning like events and stuff with other survivors. So if you feel like you want to come to that or whatnot, just slide into my DMs, send me an email at Tara Newell uh, PR at gmail.com or coaching. If you want coaching, Tara Newell coaching at gmail.com. You can always check out my website, Tara Newell survival. There'll be stuff being posted on there along with I'm most active on Instagram. And then I, my Instagram is Tara Newell. And then on TikTok, I have been doing a lot of storytelling about my attack and answering a lot of questions on there. And so that's really been a storytelling platform for me. And um, I mean, the podcast is great to check out, but I don't make any money off of that whatsoever. Um, I'm not making any money off of TikTok, but it helps to get views to hopefully monetize eventually. And, you know, look out for the podcast that I'm, ha- you know, coming out with, um, because I mean, I do give a lot of free work to, with helping survivors and stuff. And, You know, it always helps to be supported in other avenues of life. And then I do have um, a charity event coming up that I'll post about. Um, It's my six-year survival charity event. And I'm partnering with Red Songbird Foundation. And they work with trauma survivors, addicts, and whatnot. Because a lot of times when you do experience trauma, you know, me talking about going drinking and stuff. Um, they could help you with that. They can help you with therapy sessions, anything along those lines. Um, but they're really an amazing organization and go into helping the people and putting in work there.
2: Absolutely. So I, am, I will link all of those in the show notes for this episode. And I encourage yeah. everybody to get out. Um, even if you can't, you know, financially go to something or anything or donate in any capacity, you can always share rate, review, yes. anything. So all of those will be linked for you. Thank you so much, Tara, for all the work you do. I do have one final question. What is a piece of advice that you would provide somebody who's going through what you've gone through or is going through um, something themselves now?
3: So if you're in a toxic relationship, I want to say if you're in it, in it, planning your leave is so careful. Start to document any... Um, abuse um, any marks on you any verbal abuse anything like that but you also want to keep it away from them um, so you know if they check your phone and stuff make sure maybe you send it to your friend and then delete the message and stuff and but really someone that you can confide in if you can't confide in anyone, Calling the National um, Domestic Hotline number is so helpful, and they can walk you through steps of how to leave your abuser, what to do right now if you're really in it, um, and they can guide you through the steps. They're so helpful, but just be really careful about leaving because when you leave your abuser that is when the violence is more prone to well like you're most likely to be killed in that moment like the first couple weeks of leaving your abuser
2: um i think it's 75 percent of domestic violence homicides happen on uh leaving and it's it's such good advice as well planning to leave is the most effective thing that you can do because just leaving um is often not something that people can do um is there anything else that you wanted to chat about while we've got you
3: Um, well, therapy is great. Um, definitely try EMDR therapy, but you know, um, if someone's not working for you, like a therapist and we're not, you know, always search for others, but be open to uh, different things like meditation and stuff, because your body could also be in such a state of fight or flight mode that you have to work on it and work on it and work on it until you're able to get yourself out of that fight-or-flight mode.
2: Thank you so much, Tara, for coming on. It's been an absolute honour. I'm a little bit (laughs) starstruck. I just want to say thank you again for all the work that you do for survivors everywhere. So for now, this is Reclaim Me signing out. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on one three one 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 four. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode.